Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. Luke 19 records another face-to-face encounter that someone had with Jesus. These were life-changing. We've seen them throughout the Gospel of Luke, and they, they were and they are life-changing encounters where people were saved and healed and delivered and encouraged and instructed. You, you, you see every one of these face-to-face encounters that people had with Jesus, and they, every one of them had the opportunity for life change. Face-to-face encounters that transformed people then and now. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, reads this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, just stop there for a moment. Again, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. You see, Jesus was on a journey. Some chapters earlier, it says where Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He, he began a journey with a great deal of intentionality. And he began making his way south. He started in the region that we call Galilee, and, and then he traveled through Samaria. His destination was Jerusalem, where he would ultimately, later on in this same chapter, experience that triumphal entry where he went into Jerusalem and then began that that week that we call the Passion Week. But he's been on this journey, and towards the end of of this journey, he's, he's passing through, it says, Jericho. He was not there by accident. I I want you to hear that. He was very intentional. He chose this route, and he chose this route because he wanted to save someone. Verse 2 says this, And behold, there in Jericho was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Jericho, this city that Jesus was passing through, was a very wealthy city. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in that city. So so just get this in your minds. Here, Here is Jericho, this major city, a wealthy city. It is one of three tax centers in the nation where people came and paid their taxes. And Zacchaeus, it says, was the chief tax gatherer in this city. So, so he is, it's, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme. He, he was the chief tax gatherer, which means he got a cut from all of the tax gatherers under him. And it says here that he was a rich man. He was rich because he was well compensated. He was paid for his services by the, the Roman government, but also because of extortion. He would, he, would, he would shake people down. He, he would, he would pay, say, pay this much, they paid this much, and he would take a, a, a considerable cut of that himself. He was rich because he was well compensated. He was rich because of extortion. He cheated people. When I was a kid, I learned a, a song that talked about his stature, and we'll look at that here in a moment. But, but really, Zacchaeus, more than being a small man, a shorter man, he was a crooked man. (laughs) This guy was crooked. 
he, he was corrupt. He was on the take. Because he collected taxes for Rome and because he cheated people, he was not only one of the, one of the richest people in the city, but he was one of the most despised people in the city. People hated him. He was considered a traitor, and his only other friends were other people who were equally hated or equally despised. Verses 3 and 4 tell us this, and Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. You see, Zacchaeus had, had never met Jesus. They had never met on a first-name basis, yet he wanted to see, it says here, he wanted to see who Jesus was. It's, it's obvious that Jesus' reputation preceded him. Jesus is about three years now into his ministry. And so words of, of what he could do, what he could accomplish, the things, the miracles that he worked, and the things that he said had preceded him. People knew about Jesus. And so that's why it mentions this crowd. But Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He'd heard about him, but he had never met him. But because the crowd was big, and because his stature was small, it says Zacchaeus climbed a tree. I, I looked up, I, I, I don't know, maybe I have seen a sycamore tree, but I, I, not that I ever realized. And, and I looked up and, and a sycamore tree is, is, is like a, it's, it's, it's like a climbing tree, which is a good thing because he's short, right? He's got short legs, it's hard to get into the tree. But it's a tree with, with a, a wider trunk, it's a smoother bark, it, it, is, it, has, these, it has these limbs that go out and, and are easily climbable. Do you know, no, it doesn't say here, uh, we, well, you'll appreciate this, it doesn't say here that he climbed a, a Russian olive tree, right? No one ever climbed, if you know Russian olive trees, you don't ever want to climb that. It'll make a memory, but don't climb it. He climbed up. Here's this man. He's, he, the crowd is big. He's small in stature, but he sees a tree or he knows that there's a tree. So he goes on ahead. He knows Jesus is going to pass by. He climbs up in the tree. So he has a great vantage point to see Jesus when he passes by. I doubt that Zacchaeus expected a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus that day. I, I doubt that he exp expected this. He, he wanted to see who he was, but, but because of the crowd and because he's kind of hidden up in the branches, if, you, if he wanted a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus, he would position himself further down the road, right at the front, so that he could have... The, but he didn't expect this. He did not plan or expect a face-to-face -face meeting that day. He was probably content with observing Jesus at a distance. He didn't want to meet him. He just wanted to see who he was. Here's a point that I want to make. A life is never changed if someone simply observes Jesus at a distance. I want you to think about that. If, if all he would have experienced that day, which was what most people experienced that day, was Jesus at a distance, his life would have never been changed. And I wonder how many people today... Perhaps even some people who are listening to this message today. How many people today are really content with just observing Jesus 
at a distance. Kind of like those, those persons with leprosy that we looked at a few weeks ago where, where you know, one came and had a face-to-face, but nine only experienced Jesus at a distance. A few days ago, we had a, a wonderful, and, and I think it was, it was a wonderful funeral for beloved brother, a friend of ours, Ron Bieber. And there were a number of people here, and, 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 it, and it hit me as I was communicating the message how many people here are simply observing Jesus at a distance? Please understand, I'm not making a judgment call, and I'm sure many people there knew Jesus Christ, but whenever you have a gathering of people of any size, there are going to be some who know Jesus face to face, but many who are simply content with observing him at a distance. So my question for you today, are you content with just observing Jesus at a distance, or, or have you said, I-, I want more than that, I want to experience him face to face? He's up in the tree. I like verse 5. Picture it in your mind as I read. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is familiar to you, but this is generally a very familiar story. This is like, how many know what I mean? This is like a Sunday school staple. This is so visual. I mean, you can just picture this in your minds. But I want you to notice something that you may have missed before. And to be quite honest, I have preached on this before. I have studied this. And I never noticed until I was preparing for this message. But, but uh, there's two things. One is easy to see. The other may be easy to miss. First, it says, Jesus looked up into the tree. It says he looked up into So it's implied that he stopped, right? He didn't just walk by and look up. But it's implied he, he walked by and he stopped and he looked up into the tree. Why is that important? Because it tells us that Jesus knew where he was. He knew where he was. I don't know how many sycamore trees there were. It doesn't say. But Jesus knew there was a man who was in that tree and he knew where he was. How, how does that how does that matter to us? Well, I I want you to get some assurance this morning. Jesus knows where you are. That thing that you're going through in your family, that thing that you're going through in some relationship, that thing that you're going through in your job at your school this week, that thing that you're going through in life, That thing that you're going through in your body. Listen, hear me on this. Jesus knows where you are. You're not alone. He's aware of this. He, he, He didn't just happen to walk by and glance up. Jesus knew where he was and Jesus knows where you are. The second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. I never noticed that before. Remember, they had never met. Earlier it says, Zacchaeus wanted to know who Jesus was. He'd never met him. But Jesus not only knew where Zacchaeus was, but Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his name. 
Again, Jesus knows what you're going through, but Jesus also knows your name. He knows everything about you. And he will intentionally stop, and he does intentionally stop, look into your life, call you by name, and he cares for you. I don't know if anyone else has ever struggled with um, self-identity or insecurities. Well, of course, we all have in some way. I was like many, particularly as a, as a, a, a teenager, a younger man, I really struggled sometimes. I didn't hate myself. I just didn't like myself very much. Just being open with you today. And I had given my heart to Jesus, but I, I can take you to the place where it, it dawned on me and I began to see that Jesus loves me and he values me. And I began to understand my identity is not who I was or who I wasn't, but rather who I am in him. And one of the greatest things that will ever happen to... Jesus did not die on the cross to give you a better self-image. Please understand that. But one of the most powerful things that happens when a person comes to Jesus Christ is they begin to see themselves in light of Him and how He sees us rather than really caring so much about what other people think. (laughs) Can you imagine Zacchaeus? I mean, I wonder if he almost fell out of the tree. He knows my name. (laughs) He knows my name. He knows where I am. So verse 6 says, So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I I wonder what that looked like. I don't know if he was a hugger. I think Jesus was. I don't, I just, but but I I don't know if, you know, where it says he received him joyfully, if they hugged, if if they shook hands, if they did a high five, probably not that, but they did something. He's, he's got a smile on his face. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. But again, Zacchaeus hadn't planned on a a face-to-face meeting. And because he was used to rejection, remember, he's a hated person. This guy knows what it's like to go into a marketplace and people turn away from him. This man knows what it's like to be walking down a street and somebody... somebody walks by and maybe even spits at him or yells at him or calls him a name. This is a man who understands rejection. This is a man who's used to it. He's used to isolation. He's used to the dirty looks. He's used to all of those things. But when Jesus called him out and when Jesus called his name, well, let me tell you something. This was was altogether different and uh, very much what he did not expect. But this face-to-face meeting changed his life. He had this whole history, this whole background, but this face-to-face meeting changed his life. See, that's what face-to-face encounters with Jesus do. They change our lives. I've really hammered this home almost every week, and that is that that Jesus desires a face-to-face encounter with every person because he desires to change your life. But your life will never be changed if you just observe him at a distance. 
Not a distant, observational relationship, but an up-close and personal relationship. This is why Jesus came. So that even today, as he draws us by his Holy Spirit, we can have these encounters with Jesus Christ. Now, other people in the crowd saw this all happen, right? He's in a crowd. We know that it says here, uses the word crowd. Uh, Others saw all of this going down. They were along with him. They stopped with him, right? So Jesus stopped. They all stopped and they looked up into the tree. They saw Jesus call Zacchaeus. They saw Zacchaeus come down, hug, high five, whatever, Jesus. They they, they see this interaction. You would think that they would be excited that Jesus befriended this crooked man who had taken their money and maybe things would be better now, but that is not what happened. These people were not excited. Verse 7 says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. And this is what they said. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The word sinner was something that was reserved for like the worst of the worst. I mean, you, the sinner wasn't just, you know, any kind of sin. I mean, these were the really bad. These were like the grade A sins. They call them, they said, they, I paraphrase, why is he going to the home of a sinner? See, understand, these people, they were not opposed to Jesus, right? They were, this, was not, this was not a riot against Jesus. They were for him. They were there like Zacchaeus. They were there to see Jesus, but it says, they all grumbled. I wonder what that looked like. Arms folded. Frowns on their faces. Well, he didn't stop for me. He didn't call me by name. He didn't invite himself to my house, and I got got an all right house. Okay, Zacchaeus has got a nicer house, but I've got a nice house. They grumbled. (laughs) They grumbled. What what is that? That's, That's one of those words that is onomatopoeia. It sounds like it, what it is, grumble, grumble. It just sounds grumble. It just sounds like a grumble. If you're taking notes, write this down. When Jesus changes a life, someone will grumble. When Jesus changes a life, someone's going to grumble. Some of you have experienced that. Jesus changed your life. Someone stood back with arms folded, sneers on their faces and said, who do they think? Who does he, who does she think they are? When Jesus changes a life, not everyone's going to be happy. Some people are going to grumble. This kind of response to a changed life had happened before earlier. Just four chapters earlier in Luke chapter 15, it says tax... Now, this is a different group. This is a different, not not just people in the crowd. But it says tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. There's that word again. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This is from Luke 15. And they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This is, this, so this is like the second time that essentially the same thing. It was a different group, different circumstance, different place. But, but, but it's like the second time that it's recorded almost word for word. Who does, who, who does he think he is going and eating with somebody, spending time with someone like this? I, I, I have to say this. Grumbling is an underrated sin. It really is. Grumbling is an underrated sin. 
It, it, is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is a destructive thing that, that many people pass off as just part of life. I have checked. I, I went through, like you, I have a computer and I can go through and I can find certain words. I checked and the Gospels, t- t- trust me in this, the Gospels never record Jesus grumbling, not once. It says Jesus said and Jesus wept and Jesus went, but never Jesus grumbled. It never says that. I, I really don't think that he did. Now he said some things that were pretty upsetting to some people. He said that a lot. But it never records that Jesus grumbled. But I went through and on that same program, I found that every time it's recorded that someone grumbled, they were in opposition to what Jesus was doing. You can check for it yourself later on. Go find a concordance and go find the word grumble or grumbled or grumbling. And you will find that every time that word is used, the people that were grumbling were in opposition to what God was doing. Grumbling is an underrated sin. In fact, if you don't believe that, let me just add this to it. In Exodus, way back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 16, as the people are making their way, about to make the begin their way through the wilderness, in Exodus chapter 16, when people grumbled, it says they grumbled against Moses, but God called them out and God said, they're not grumbling against you, they're grumbling against me. How many times in our grumbling we grumble to other people, but we're actually grumbling against God? See how this is dangerous? And just to add this to it, in Numbers chapter 14, this whole same era, in Numbers 14 it says, every adult who grumbled against God, every adult who grumbled against God died in the wilderness and never saw the promised land. That means that, that the words that I say and the attitudes that I carry can keep me from experiencing some of the great promises of God. See, I've, you cannot grumble and praise at the same time. Grumbling is, is dangerous. Oh, and by the way, can I add this? It's also one that I have confessed many times. See, I, I, I don't just preach these sermons. I live them. And boy, this last week, I, 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 I grumbled. And I, had, I said, Lord, forgive me. Well, in spite of grumbling people, Jesus had changed Zacchaeus' life. And there was evidence of the change. Look at verse 8. Luke 19, verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, right, face to face. He's face to face. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This crooked man met Jesus and it changed him. This crooked man, he wasn't just a wee little man, he was a crooked man. But this crooked man had met Jesus and it changed him. It was an apparent obvious, demonstrable change in his life. He vowed to give half of everything to the poor and to those he'd cheated, he would give back four times as much. 
You see, other people, remember the other people in the crowd? The other people in the crowd had seen him with Jesus that day, but they would watch him in the days following to see how Jesus had changed him. So if you say, you, if you say you've been with Jesus, if you, if you say that I've experienced him, if you say I have a relationship with him, then it better be seen in your life. There, there has to be a change. If, if, we, if we act, live, think, do, say, whatever, the, the same way before Christ as after Christ, then I question if you ever met Christ. It's pretty strong. But remember, face-to-face encounters change us. And there was a change. I mean, this, this effect, Jesus didn't ask him to do Jesus, Jesus didn't tell him to do this. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And I believe that he did it. Otherwise, his story wouldn't be recorded here. Because Zacchaeus was saved, he no longer stole. It's not on the screen, but you can write that down. Because Zacchaeus was saved, he no longer stole. There was a change in his life. Let me rephrase that to the present. Saved people stop stealing. Saved people stop stealing. This is not a political statement. I just just want to identify something. Looting is stealing, regardless of the circumstances in the background. Looting, going into a store and taking what is not yours, what you have not paid for, is stealing. And so people who have experienced Jesus Christ, you can't, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you can't go in and loot. How about this? Receiving some service and not paying the bill is stealing. Somebody did something for you. You had some kind of a verbal, a contractual agreement. You said, I will do this, and uh, I will pay you this. If you do this, they do that, and you don't pay. That's stealing. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you go, oh, that's going to be hard. I don't know how, but we're going to make that happen because I'm saved. I've experienced Jesus Christ. Therefore, I must act differently, and I'm going to make that right. And it may take me a while, but I'm going to make it right. Refusing, Refusing to pay the rent is stealing. Well, yeah, but they have a lot of money. Yeah, but you agreed to do that, and so you're living there. You're receiving something. You paid the rent. Not paying a car payment. Well, you know, they got a lot of cars, and, and I don't have a lot of money, so I just, I'm just, no, that's stealing. Let's call it what it is. So if you've met Jesus, this is what happened with Zacchaeus. He said, I was wrong. I acknowledge it. He didn't, Jesus didn't tell him this was wrong. He, he, he understood something had happened within him, His conscience had been restored. His conscience had been healed. And he realized, I have been defrauding these people. I have been shaking these people down. I have to do something different. I think I may have shared this before. Some years ago, I was in a in a library, and I saw this book that was there. It's a big, beautiful book on pictures and uh, uh, a picture book with, of airplanes. And I love airplanes. And I and and I and I and I it didn't wasn't a library book, so I took it and I put it in my bag. I was a, like a senior in high school, and, and and later on that day, I I heard somebody say, "Hey, have you have you seen that book?" And I didn't say anything. 
I kept the book because I liked the book. Years later, years later, I'm pastoring in Minnesota. Years later, and I look up, and I, had, I forgot about the whole conversation. I look up, and I see this book uh, of airplanes on my shelf in the pastor's study. And I go, oh, I stole that. I mean, I knew who the, so I, I, next time I was back in Rapid City, I went through, the, you know, one of those old annuals, you know, those yearbook things, and I found the guy's name. I forgot his name, but I found his name, and then I, 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 somehow I got his address, and I sent him a book, and I said, I apologize. I stole this. You, you lost, you misplaced this book. I knew it. Uh, I kept it, and I apologize. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I didn't put my return address on there, but I, 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 I <laughs> <laughs> because all of a sudden you realize this was wrong but I'm a follower of Jesus so I need to do things differently now I do things differently because I follow Jesus save people stop stealing Zacchaeus' actions didn't buy his salvation. That's not how he was saved. It was the result of his salvation. And there's a big difference there. I have to tell you, I often struggle with finding titles for my sermons. I always have. Uh, I've preached a lot of sermons here and a lot of other places. I've been preaching for 35 years, and I've always struggled a little bit with, um, with uh, finding a title to my sermons. But the remarkable team that helps put the visuals together, they want a title, and that's, that's only right, so that can give a little bit of identity on the, on the website and on the podcast and all of that. One of the guys contacted me on Friday, and he said, Pastor, I need a title. <laughs> and uh, I had gotten the text. I, I was driving. I pulled over. I read the text. I, I, uh, I sat there for a few minutes in, the part, in this parking lot, and, I said, and then I said, um, call it Jesus the Straightener. Call it Jesus the straightener. You see, this crooked man was straightened out. He was crooked. The guy was as crooked as a dog's hind leg, but he, God, Jesus straightened him out. And isn't that what Jesus does? Come on, isn't that what Jesus does? He straightens us out. Salvation straightens, salvation in Christ straightens us out. Straightens out crooked living. When we came to Jesus or when we come to Jesus, He straightens out our twisted thinking. He straightens out our twisted thinking. You know, there's a lot of people with just twisted thinking. And, and let me help you with something. Trying to change their opinion, you trying to change their thinking on your own, just save your breath. It's not going to work. People will double down on their opinions. But I, I do know this, that when somebody comes to Jesus Christ, he begins to straighten out their twisted thinking. And all of a sudden they go, that was dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. I knew it was dumb. Everybody, around, every, everybody on God's green earth knew that it was dumb, but you didn't know it was dumb. But when Jesus got a hold of your heart, and all of a sudden he straightened out your twisted thinking. That's what he does. He's the straightener. Salvation straightens out our, our crooked living. 
When we come to Jesus, he straightens out any twisted sense of morality. There's a lot of people in our world whose morality, and I put that in quotes, whose morality is so twisted, it's so convoluted, it's so bent over, it's so messed up. It's like, how can you even think that that is a moral thing? But Jesus comes into their life and he straightens out that twisted morality, so-called morality. When we come to Jesus, he straightens out crooked hearts and crooked motives. Only he can do that. No argument that you have is good enough. I'm sorry, but no argument that you have is good enough to change someone's heart. But Jesus can change a heart. And Jesus can change a motive. He is Jesus, the straightener. We sang it this morning. Jesus, you change everything. In fact, if you think that he doesn't change everything, then he's, he may not be the Lord of your life. Because lordship means that we surrender everything to him. If we hold some areas back and say, not this area, not this, not this area, not this. But he, he can change everything. Verse 9. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And I love this last line. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Don't you love that? Man, put that on a piece of paper and post it someplace. The Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. I said earlier that Jesus' presence in Jericho was not incidental. It was not accidental. It was intentional. Jesus was there. Why did Jesus... You know, he could have gone a lot of different routes to Jerusalem to make that, that date, that, that triumphal entry. He could have done it, but he went through Jericho. Why? Because he knew there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was going to be up in a tree, and he was going to save that man that day. Pastor Ben mentioned this, and he didn't know it. He's smart, but he didn't know this. He said, he said God, I believe you have a plan for everyone here today. And it's true. You are not here accidentally. You are not here incidentally. You are here intentionally. You chose to be here, but more than that, Jesus chose to be here for you and to meet with you face to face. So Jesus wants to be close to you. Please, if you're listening to this, watching this, hearing it live, stop simply observing Jesus at a distance. He died on the cross so that he could have an up-close and personal relationship with him. Oh, if all you know are the facts and figures of Jesus' life, but you don't know Jesus, today you can know Jesus. Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you're going through, and he knows your name. He knows what you're going. He, he knows everything there, and he knows who you are, and he desires to meet with you. And because he is in our life, <laughs> because Jesus saved you, <laughs> stop grumbling and stop stealing. <laughs> but let other people around you say, "I know that he, that she, 
that they've been with Jesus, but now I know they know Jesus because their life has changed. In the very closing moments of our time together, I'd like you to stand. And we're going to make an altar right where we are. In, in just a few moments, these altars, as always, are going to be open. And there will be people here to pray with you. There will be people here to, if you would like to, somebody to pray for you for healing, that will all be here. But today, I want you to make an altar right where you are. And say, Lord Jesus, no more. No more distant, up close and personal. Jesus, right now, I, I want to experience you like I've never experienced you before. Jesus, you know what I'm going through. You know where I am, and you know my name. And Jesus, because you're in my life, would you change my living, the way that I live, the way that I do? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord Jesus, in these final moments of this service, Lord, right where people are, there are going to be some here today who are saying, no more at a distance. I want to know you face to face. Lord, even just right now as they say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. Become my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead, not just for all of humanity, but you died for me. Lord, and now I pray that I will know you personally that I will begin this relationship with you this day. Lord, I pray that some will pray that. Even as, even as we're praying, Lord, that they simply pray that simple prayer of repentance, surrendering all to you. Jesus, I pray also for those who, who are going through something so big and they're wondering, God, do you know? May you reassure them even through this message today that you not only know where they are, but you know their name. You know what they're going through. Comfort them, strengthen them, give direction to them, give reassurance to them that you know where they are, what they're going through, and you know their name. And Jesus, for those who, who by your Holy Spirit, because I can't identify everything, nor should I, but your Holy Spirit does, and you shine your light on us, and Lord, if we call upon you, if we say that we're a follower of yours, if we've surrendered our life to you, then may the people around us see a difference. That the, 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 that the things that we used to do, we do differently now. That some things we renounce and some things we embrace. But Lord, from this day forward, I am going to live for you and not for me. Lord, this I pray. So meet with people, Lord, right where they are in these places of prayer, in these altars. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this day. I thank you for meeting with us this day. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that goes before us. I thank you for the great year that students and teachers and, and, and faculty members and professors and, and administrators are going to have. I pray, Jesus, that you will give us favor, that you will strengthen us in this journey, that, that, that throughout this week you will remind us, Lord, you know where we are and you know our name. Thank you, Lord, for that reassurance. So now I ask your blessing upon us as we make our way from this place, as we make our way some to an altar. Lord, we give ourselves to you and we thank you. You change everything. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. These altars are open.